this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guest, Denise Lee Yan. Thank you for being here, Denise. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm excited to be speaking with you all. This month, we are focused on companies living out their core values and maintaining alignment between what their brand is and what the company actually does. Denise, this is a topic you are an expert in. Um, we love the idea that you bring with brand culture fusion. Um, we find that fascinating. So we're very excited to have you on the podcast. Um, this podcast features a great leader who has keen insight into our leadership topic for the month and your extensive background and understanding of corporate culture directly ties to productivity and results, which we find powerful, something we know businesses and all industries want. TJ, why don't you tell us a little more about Denise? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks. Our guest this month is Denise Lee Yan. Denise is the go-to expert on brand leadership for national media outlets, an in-demand speaker and consultant, and an influential writer. Denise is the author of the best-selling book, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. The ebook, Extraordinary Experiences, What Great Retail and Restaurant Brands Do. And her new book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. And we're going to talk a bit, a bit about that here in a minute. News media, including CNBC, Fox Business TV, The Wall Street Journal, and NPR, call on Denise when they want an expert point of view on hot business issues. With her expertise and inspiring approach, Denise has become a seriously sought-after keynote speaker. She has addressed business leaders around the world at corporate events such as Facebook, NFL, and Lexus, and conferences including the International Consumer Electronics Show, The Art of Marketing, and Sustainable Brands. Denise enjoys challenging her readers to think differently about brand building in her regular contributions to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and has been a writer for publications including Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Knowledge at Wharton, Seeking Alpha, QSR Magazine, and more. Denise initially cultivated her brand building approaches through several high-level positions in advertising and client-side marketing. She served as a lead strategist at advertising agencies for Burger King and Land Rover and as a marketing leader and analyst for Jack in the Box restaurants and Spiegel catalogs. Denise went on to head Sony Electronics Inc.'s first ever brand office where she was the vice president and general manager of brand and strategy and garnered major corporate awards. Consulting clients have included Target, Oakley, Dunkin' Donuts, and other leading companies. It's very impressive. Outside of her professional roles, Denise counts hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, dancing with professional ballet company, and flying a helicopter of some of her greatest life experiences. And so she has been to speaking engagements at Cornell University, Consumer Electronics Show, The Catalyst, just to name a few. And recently she was featured in New York Times, USA Today, Advertising Age, again with the list that goes on and on. Okay, Denise. This is that, I think that intro went on and on. Yeah, I'm, 
you have an impressive background um, and you have an extensive knowledge with a lot of writing, a lot of speaking. And so we really wanted to talk to you today about this idea of workplace culture and branding. You directly tie a business culture with its performance. What we find unique about it is that you put the company's brand in the center of its culture as a key element to producing results, which is interesting because when we typically think of branding, we think of the brand in terms of speaking to others outside of the organization like your customers. So Denise, let's discuss that a little bit further. How can leaders develop the organization's brand internally to develop its own corporate culture that builds a connected staff to produce greater results. We want to hear anything that you might say about branding, corporate culture, some of your experiences, and some of the issues that you have found companies face with communicating their message effectively. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think that it's safe to say that I think all of us want to have, um, want to be authentic in the sense that what we say we are to the outside is actually what we are on the inside. And that's what fusing your brand and your culture are all about. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, your customers, as well as your employees, um, expect you to be authentic. And um, I think that you you not only gain their trust, but you gain their business and you gain their loyalty by doing what you say and saying what you do, what you do. So, um, you know, I, I define your corporate culture as basically, you know, the way you do things, right? <laughs> the way we do things around here. And so you, you know, your culture should be grounded in, over, in an overarching purpose and a set of core values that really drive, align, and guide everything you do, whether that is internally as an organization or externally as you present yourself to customers. And so that's really the foundation of brand culture fusion is ensuring that you have that purpose and your values as that, that guiding light. Um, and then from there, you know, at, at my um, new book fusion outlines a specific strategies and steps you can take to really cultivate that alignment and integration of brand and culture. But it really starts with understanding that you really do need to have this mutually reinforcing um, uh, interdependent relationship between the two. Denise, just to follow up on that idea of fusing the two, what do you see as some of the challenges that whether it's the, the leader himself or herself or the company that has a disconnect between what they are demonstrating and selling and showing to the outside world, but internally, the culture is suffering. What, what, yeah. are, what are some of the things that attribute to that dysfunction? Yeah, well, that I think that's a great question. I think most of the dysfunction comes from a misunderstanding of how you actually build culture. Because I think that um, the, there's so much rhetoric out there today about culture building that suggests that there is one type of culture that is right for every organization. Um, it's friendly and nurturing and supportive. You know, the leaders are benevolent and they treat their employees like family and everyone gets along and we do big group hugs at the end of the day. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, that kind of culture might work well, like at a, at a Starbucks or, you know, at a Southwest Airlines, but it might 
that completely backfire at another company. And so I think that there's this sense that um, there's one kind of one right kind of culture when actually the right culture for you is a unique one, the one that is going to set your employees up with the right mindset and the right behaviors to produce the specific results you're looking for. And those results should and, and probably do tie to your brand identity and your brand image, what you want your company to be known for. So I think the first you know, dysfunction happens from just a misunderstanding that your culture needs to not just be good, but it needs to be unique. It needs to embody your uniqueness as an organization and your uniqueness as a brand. Then I think that you know there are other problems um, that lead business leaders experience. You know, one is that they they don't know how to build a culture, so they think, well, if I just offer great perks and parties, um, you know, that'll motivate my employees. But again, you know, you might be producing happy employees, but not necessarily happy employees that produce the right results. Um, some other leaders might think that. Well, if I just tell people that you need to be like innovative or you need to be, you know, risk taking or you need to have fun, you know, that that people will do that. But um, that's not how that's not how human behavior happens. You don't just tell people to do something and they do it. You need to set the right conditions and the right environment for your right for the culture to thrive. Um, so, you know, I think that if 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 business leaders had a better sense of the kind of culture that they should be building and that they need to actively take responsibility for cultivating that culture, um, and again, through these strategies and steps I've identified that other companies do, then I think that the, that this gap or this disconnect between brand and culture um, could be closed. Denise, would you mind walking us through one of the strategies so our listeners could really understand how to bridge that culture and cultivate that within? Yeah, yes. Thank you. Yeah, so one of the, the, the first strategy uh, in the five strategies to achieve brand culture fusion is to organize and operate on brand. What I mean is to use your organizational design and your operating processes to actually cultivate your desired culture. Now, I think most people might think about um, culture as kind of a, 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 you know, like, just a soft stuff, something that just kind of happens along off onto the side, but you can actually cultivate your, your desired culture in the way that you organize your, your company. You know, think about the, the, how much hierarchy you want in your company versus how much um, autonomy and accountability you want. Um, think about which groups you want to work together in order to produce the kind of results you want. Um, think about the roles that you need in the organization to promote the values that, that you espouse in organization. You know, your, your organization shouldn't just be designed kind of in the standard way, like how everyone else does it, or, you know, just so that you know, your organization can function. You actually want to use your, your organizational design, its standards, its structure, its roles to, to promote the kind of culture that you want, to promote the working relationships and, and, the, um, and the working processes that you want, which actually leads to the second point is to, you know, operate on brand. Um, when I talk about operations and culture, most people think about HR. Um, so, you know, how are we recruiting people or how are we training or, or, or um, you know, how are we compensating them? And those processes are indeed important, but I'm talking about your like day-to-day -day processes. You know, how do you run meetings? How do you budget? Um, how do you um, run approvals for expenses or new, new projects? Um, all of those processes 
also cultivate the kind of culture or, or cultivate a culture and you want to make sure that's cultivating your desired culture. You know, if you want to cultivate a more um, uh, risk-taking, agile, fast-paced culture, but your planning and budgeting processes are bureaucratic, yearly kinds of staid processes, you're not going to have the people working in the ways that you want them to, to to achieve your desired culture and your desired brand identity. But for example, if you want to have um, promote a more innovative brand identity, well, then you're going to need to promote more um, learning and experimentation in, in your culture, which means maybe you need to develop a process for like hackathons or, um, or, or uh, competitions for innovations. I mean, there are all these different ways that you can operate. And then, as I said, organize on brand. So that's one of the strategies. Now that's fantastic, Denise. I, I really like how you had mentioned th that there is not a one size fits all. And really what you just walked us through is all the questions that a leader should ask to determine what the culture should look like. And then how sometimes there's conflict with that. That's powerful, um, which I know our audience will really uh, enjoy and be able to utilize immediately. Let, let's hop over uh, to our, our one thing series questions. And these are leadership development questions. Um, and this really speaks to, to you, your development, Denise, and, and the impact you make. And then I'm sure those who have impacted you. Who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration? And where could we find them? Okay, this is the one question that I don't have a response to, and I purposefully don't have one, because I'm actually going to push back a little if you guys don't mind. Um, you know, I think that there tends to be, like, granted, I mean, you need to focus, and you can't, like, have your attention going everywhere, but I think that sometimes people get really fixated on a particular person or a particular, like, social media influencer or, you know, some quote-unquote thought leader that they follow, and I I think they tend to get very myopic and very um, uh, one-sided in their view. And I think that um, what I found is the more that I can expose myself to, the more different kinds of perspectives, um, the more new things that kind of surprise me, um, I think the, the more I grow and the more I develop. So I actually have like probably a list of 30 different people or groups that I am, you know, following or reading anytime and I'm rotating through those. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to, when I'm traveling is to go to airport stores and just pick up random magazines from different topics that, um, you know, I would never really pay attention to, but I always learn something and I feel like that's probably um, where I get my most knowledge and inspiration. So I'm hoping it's okay. I don't have an answer for this first one. I do have answers for the rest of your questions though. <laughs> okay. I think we enjoy the, the pushback actually. It's, uh, <laughs> it's refreshing. And that's certainly something that we're trying to do here for the audience is to dive, you know, differentiate who they're following um, with both our guests and who our, our guests introduced. Um, you said that you find that in airport, uh, magazines and so on. Where else do you find the ability or, or do you use a strategy to, um, to differentiate and to rotate through people? Because I think in today's digital world and when we get on Twitter and Facebook and all of our platforms, um, even Google, like it has a tendency to filter us back to the things that we're used to. Mm -hmm. So how do you intentionally break away from that outside of your airport? 
support. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, um, I probably don't do it as systematically as I should, but both on Twitter and LinkedIn, which are the primary platforms I use for like my professional communication, my professional development, I really um, try to like follow lots of different people and um, kind of rotate through. And, you know, when I find someone new that I find this really interesting, I try to force myself to like um, stop following someone else. And so there, you know, there's kind of, I, I know some people will actually go through and say, I'm going to follow these 10 people for this month. And then I'm going to follow these 10 people th this month. And I think that's actually a great approach. I haven't just, I haven't gotten myself to that point, but I really do try to um, kind of mix it up and make sure that I'm not always reading the same people or commenting the same things, but I'm actually scrolling down quite a bit or setting up my Hootsuite account so that I actually have different streams coming in and um, to provide different inputs. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it, the, the point is that it's intentional and that yes. you're, you're looking for ways to um, inspire yourself and grow your knowledge base. And I, I think that's really actually an important point for our listeners is that we need to broaden our approach to intake, um, diversifying it, if you will. And, and that's, that's, that's fascinating. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Our welcome. second, our second question is what's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? Okay. Um, it's something that I do every morning, which is to review my purpose and core values. So first you need to make sure that you as a leader have stated what your purpose is and what your core values are, just as I uh, recommend for organization. But then once you do that, um, uh, you know, I review them every morning. It's kind of a time of prayer and meditation where I just go through and I say, you know, what do I have on my plate today that's coming up and how, how am I going to be um, fulfilling my purpose and living out my core values in this? And um, I think it really centers me. I think it um, uh, makes me much more aware of how I spend my time and, um, you know, I budget kind of accordingly. And I think it also um, just, it, it does help me eventually, hopefully, you know, fulfill my purpose and live out my values. So it's just a really good, like, kind of daily practice that I recommend. Yeah, that's a great practice, Denise. I, we've heard that from several people of late, just the overall importance of a morning routine and mm -hmm. ensuring that you're grounded. Yes. It's incredibly powerful. Yes, absolutely. What's one thing that you know? Um, or excuse me, that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Mm -hmm. Well, this is totally random, but I actually want to learn how to fly a helicopter. Um, so I'm fascinated with helicopters and the way that they like, you know, you, you can just go like straight up, straight down. You can sit as if you're floating in the air. I just find being in a helicopter one of the most like awesome experiences ever. And um, several years ago, my husband bought me like one of those trial lessons where I got to go up with is just me and the pilot. And then for five minutes um, over somewhere over the desert. So I wasn't going to run into anything. <laughs> he turned the controls over to me. And it was the, one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Um, I don't know if you know anything about flying a helicopter, but like all four of your 
um, main appendages. So right, left arm, right, left foot, they're all doing different things and moving in different directions. And um, it's when I found that out and saw how difficult it was, I was like, I have to learn how to do that. So that is, um, I wouldn't say it's on my bucket list because that's going to happen sooner rather than later. But that is definitely one thing that I want to be able to do. That's a cool goal to have. It's very unique. Um, what, what, um, what do you think sparked that passion in, in the helicopter? Was there like an inception point where you decided that or did it build over time or? Um, you know, it really just came from flying and I, I mean, I haven't been in that many helicopters, but just um, I've had the, I've been blessed enough to like flown over Hawaii, different areas of Hawaii a couple times. Um, I flew over Mexico City one time and just that feeling of, like I said, kind of floating in the air, um, not necessarily going anywhere, you know, like in a plane, I can see there's like, there's the appeal of being a, a, a fixed wing pilot and like taking off and going somewhere and landing. But to me, it's just like you're, you're, you're really like flying. You're just kind of like floating out there in space. It's, it's just incredible. There's something connected to leadership and our, our <laughs> leadership aspirations in flying. You're not the first person who's brought up either being really? able huh. to fly as a person. Uh, first person who's ever said that they want to be a helicopter pilot, but um, <laughs> We've heard from several people who are interested in flight of some sort. So very, yeah, very cool yeah. and, and, and somewhat cerebral as well. <laughs> our, our fourth question is, what's one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader um, that we think others might be able to replicate? Mm -hmm. um, well, I... I do. Uh, I'm a fitness enthusiast, so I work out regularly, and um, I actually attribute a lot of my um, mental and emotional health as well as my physical health to that practice, and I think that as a leader, it's something that really helps me a lot um, uh, because you know, I can go out for a run and have this problem, like, you know, business problem that I'm trying to solve. And, you know, over the 30, 40 minutes that I'm out there, I will come up with like five brilliant ideas and, you know, and then also just come back feeling like refreshed and excited and alive and um, ready to take on a challenge. And so, um, you know, it's probably not like the typical, um, leadership practice of reading something or listening to something or whatever, which I, which I do also, but I would say that that's just that, that emphasis on every morning, six days a week, get up, work out, um, start with that fresh, clear headspace um, has really helped me a lot. And Denise, do you work out the same time pretty much every day? Do you try to organize your day that way? Yeah, yeah. So I'm up every morning, um, 5.30. Uh, Saturdays, I give myself a little bit extra time, but Monday through Friday, 5.30. Yeah. And even when I'm traveling, I, I used to, I used to do it religiously. So like if I were flying to the East Coast and my client had a 7 a.m. meeting, I would be up like literally at two o'clock my time, you know, Pacific time working out. Decided that's, that's probably not healthy. Um, so I have this cutoff that if, um, if I have to get up, if I can get up 4.30 my time or later, anywhere I am in the world, I will work out um, because it is, it is that important to me. I feel like it's that um it gives me that much more energy and health and, and um, focus for, for what I need to do. Yeah, that's incredible. We, we heard someone once 
talk about that workout as just valuing themselves, that mm. that's something that they value, but really it's so important to them because of their health, their wellness and what it does. And TJ and I definitely relate the whole blog, the genesis of what we do now outside of our typical uh, day jobs was uh, brought the life on the trails of White Clay Creek uh, uh, in Delaware, PA. And so they, they it, it, you know, really traverses all these, this area. Um, but that nice. really is how it happened just through running. We both yeah. are avid runners. And like you said, it's amazing we did it for cathartic reasons and enjoying each other's company, but we would often just bring up a difficult topic and then suddenly be able to land mm-hmm. in the space mm-hmm. where it did not exist 20, 30 minutes prior to that. And that's fascinating. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners and us. Um, it's true. And <laughs> more people, um, I, I think they'd find greater solutions if they embrace th- these activities. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on. Our, our final question is, what's the one thing um, that you used to think that you don't anymore? Okay, so this is a little weird, um, but I used to think that people needed to think I was smart in order to like me. And so I was, for the first probably 15 years of my career, I was totally focused on showing everyone how smart I was. And frankly, looking back on that, I probably alienated a ton of people by doing that. Because at the end of the day, I I wanted to build relationships. I wanted to build connections. I wanted to have friends and colleagues who we would trust and like each other. But I thought the way to do that was to impress them. And I think now what I know is that um, it's more important to serve them and to love them and to like them, you know, just to just myself kind of putting that out to them. Um, And don't worry so much about like having people think that I'm smart and that I'm impressive. Um, So it's, it's, and I will say that I still struggle with it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of like impression management or image management that comes, I think with anybody, particularly as a speaker and writer and the person kind of person that I am or the career that I have, but I really have tried to unplug from that and, um, yeah, just serve other people and love them truly. And um, over time, I find that the relationships that I've built um, have been so much more meaningful with that as the foundation. Thank you for sharing that. I think that uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out of that because I think there's an internal struggle. We've been talking a lot lately about the fact that one of the uh, most important leadership qualities is to be self-aware And to be self-aware, you need to self-reflect. And oftentimes when we build time into self-reflect, it can become negative talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when that happens, it actually turns that off in terms of self-reflection. So just your ability to think deeply about yourself and say, it really isn't about me showing people that I'm smart. It's about me showing people that I I can add value and serve them, um, I think will be a big takeaway. And we appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, you know, I think that like so much of life is stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about other people more. And so I think that's also part of it is just, you know, yes, you, yes, you know, the, an unexamined life isn't worth living. So yes, you, you certainly want to be self-aware. But I think that the more you put your focus on other people, um, I think the better off everyone is. That's good. It's key insight. It's fantastic. It can be used strategically. 
Uh, Joe and I always say that leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and that's something that we always like to uh, remind our listeners. Denise, this has been a fantastic interview. Is there anything else that you would like to share today for our followers? No, I'm just really um, thankful for the opportunity to speak with you all. And I am so excited for you and your podcast. So I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you very much, Denise. There you have it, folks. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog, theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs all on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed our One Thing series on how leaders can build their brand and their culture at the same time.